0: Kubernetes is everywhere, you can't avoid it. There's a lot of documentation, examples, guides. But we go beyond that, right? We, we show you how to run a web application in production with Kubernetes, which apparently everybody's doing these days or trying to figure out, and there's like so many opinions. And so how do you actually do it? Well, we'll show you how. So changelog.com itself runs on Linode Kubernetes engine. It's proof that it's easy, straightforward, and it works. And we have all the commits to back this up. We have all the code to back this up. You can see what choices we've made. And I really love what we have built. And I really love that we can keep it real. We can still deliver business value, right? No one stopped anybody from shipping. And it's just a bunch of us. It doesn't take a teams of 10, 20, 30 people to do this
1: bandwidth for changelog is provided by fastly learn more at fastly.com our feature flags are powered by LaunchDarkly. check them out at launchdarkly.com and we're hosted on linode cloud servers get a hundred dollars in hosting credit at linode.com slash changelog what up friends you might not be aware but we've been partnering with linode since 2016 that's a long time ago way back when we first launched our open source platform that you now see at changelog.com linode was there to help us And we are so grateful. Fast forward several years now and Linode is still in our corner behind the scenes helping us to ensure we're running on the very best cloud infrastructure out there. We trust Linode. They keep it fast and they keep it simple. Get $100 in free credit at Linode.com slash changelog. Again, $100 in free credit at Linode.com slash changelog. What's up? Welcome back, everyone. This is the ChangeLog, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators in the software world. I'm Adam Stachowiak, Editor-in-Chief here at ChangeLog. On today's show, we're talking with Gerhard lazoo our resident SRE, Ops, and infrastructure expert here at ChangeLog about the evolution of our infrastructure, what's new in 2020, what are we planning to do in 2021, and what are we using today? The most notable change? Well, we're now running on Linode Kubernetes Engine, LKE. We even test the resilience of this new infrastructure by purposely taking the site down live on the show, but that's near the end, so don't miss it. And for those long-time listeners out there, you may have noticed a change at the top of the show, and I want to welcome LaunchDarkly as our newest partner here at ChangeLog. They'll be powering our feature flags. Check them out at LaunchDarkly.com. All right, let's do the show.
2: So long-time listeners of the ChangeLog all know Gerhard Lazu. Recent listeners, maybe not so much. If you've been listening back to last December, you've heard Gerhard's voice before as he went to KubeCon and had some awesome interviews late last year. If you've been around for a while, you'd have heard him on our 2018 infrastructure, our 2019 infrastructure, and today on our 2020-21 infrastructure. Yeah, 2020
0: never happened. If anybody asks me, it didn't happen. That's right.
2: We're skipping it. For those who haven't heard about you, Gerhard, uh, from our perspective, maybe we consider him our SRE for hire, our uh, remote infra guy that we call when we need help. And he's been helping us for many years. We appreciate you for that. For the brand new listeners, Gerhard, what's your background? What's your, where are you coming from?
0: So the one thing uh, that I really, really enjoy is infrastructure. Even more so breaking it, understanding its limits, and then putting it back together. It's just this need to understand how something works at a very deep level. And then taking all the building blocks and putting them together much better than they were before. That's what we've been doing with changelog.com infrastructure for many, many years. Yep. Half the stuff you don't even know, right? That's been going on. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It was all for the best, trust me. Like we took many systems apart, we put them together, we tried different components over the years. And I feel that right now we are in a very good place. I mean, as challenging as 2020 was, we managed to complete our migration to Linode Kubernetes engine. For the listeners from previous years, we have been running on Linode for many years now. They have an amazing infrastructure, amazing service, and we have a great relationship with them. And uh, they somehow managed to keep things simple, even with all this complexity. So over the years, we had different setups, but right now we settled on Linode Kubernetes Engine. It's it's simple, it's performant. uh, It allowed us to do many things very quickly. And more importantly, it sets us up for a great future
2: yeah so to go back just a little ways back in 2018 we were running ansible scripts and concourse ci you can go back and listen to that episode we've done one of these per year for the last three years this is our third annual infrastructure episode Uh, 2019 we replaced that stuff with docker swarm and a few other goodies that i can't recall off top of my head but gerhard knows inside and out and these infrastructure setups all come with an accompanying blog post, open source code, like how we did the decision making. So that is also going to be a companion to this episode, is Gerhard's annual blog post. For 2020, we wanted to move from Docker Swarm into Kubernetes, which is really the the goal and what we've accomplished here in October. We accomplished it before October, but yeah. here we are in October talking about it. So, tell us about uh, where we were last year and the things that, that maybe the, the things lacking from that setup, things that we wanted, and how this transition is accomplishing some of those goals.
0: I think that's a really good place to start because last year, as exciting as it was to roll out that infrastructure for 2019, we were using Docker Swarm. And the big difference was that we didn't have to install Docker, we didn't have to do any of that management because it came. With the operating system, we we're using CoreOS at the time, and CoreOS out of the box, it just had Docker, so we didn't have to install it. So there were a f- fewer things for our scripts, right, our Ansible, to do, and uh, we could switch to something like Terraform, and we could worry about basically managing not just the VM, but also integrating with the load balancer, node balancer in Linode speak. And it was a much simpler configuration. But it still meant that we had a single uh, VM. And some might frown upon that, like, why single VM? But looking at our availability for the entire year, it wasn't that bad. And any problems that we had were fixed relatively quickly, except one. We may go into that later. But for the entire year, our uptime was... Um, just under four hours, sorry, we had downtime, less than four hours. That was pretty good for a single VM. So it just goes to show that some simple things can work and you can push them really far. And I know that Jared is a big fan of simple things because you know mm-hmm. they're easy to understand when something goes wrong, it's easy to fix it. And we were really, I know that Adam was very excited about us going to Kubernetes. We wanted to, to do that for a while, but the time wasn't right. And it wasn't right because Linux didn't have a simple one click kubernetes story you had to do a bunch of things you could do it if you really wanted to but it wasn't easy and then in 2019 at the end november the magic happened linode kubernetes engine entered beta i was at kubecon i met with uh, Hilary wilmoth and mike Catrani from linode we gained access to linode kubernetes engine it was in beta and with one command later we had a three node kubernetes cluster that was really simple. That was like the, the experience that we wanted and were waiting for. And once we had that, things kind of flowed from there. It was really simple to add all these other components. Now, compared to what we had before, we had to worry about, I suppose, the migration from CoreOS to Flatcar because CoreOS became end of life, right, with the acquisition of um, CoreOS by Red Hat. So we had to do that migration and we were approaching, we knew that the end of life would come. So rather than doing that and continuing with the single VM, Docker swarm complications, we went to something simpler, which was Kubernetes, because we had this one API, and we could provision everything, which meant less terraforming. We didn't have to provision node balances. We didn't have to create volumes and then like, attach them to VMs using terraform. We, ha- we didn't have to do any of that this Kubernetes API would do all those things for us, which meant mm-hmm. that it was, it was a much simpler system to work with.
2: Now, when you say something simpler, probably alarms go off in people's heads because they think Kubernetes is simpler mm-hmm. because Kubernetes has a reputation of being very complex, not simple. Do you think that's not true or are you talking about from a different perspective it's simpler?
0: I think there is complexity in everything. So even if you have like a single VM, some things may be simpler, but other things will be harder. So the trade-offs which you're making about packages, how to install them, where to get them from, volumes, as I said, formatting, how to format them, all those things you need to do. Load balances, configuring them, TLS certificates. I mean, (laughs) these things are still required. Now you may be familiar with that approach and maybe that's why you think it's simpler. But if you use something like, for example, external DNS for automatic DNS management, which is a component that you just deploy to Kubernetes, you don't have to go and manage your DNS with Terraform or manually or Ansible or anything like that. And it's this combination of the different components, which have matured over the years, which you run in Kubernetes. And then they in turn integrate with everything around. So for example, certificates, we used to pay for certificates before. And we had to wire that together and set it up in the load balance and set it up in our CDN and do all those things. Now, with Cert Manager, it's much, much simpler. We are getting it via Let's Encrypt. It's all integrated. It all plays nice together. So while what happens behind the scenes is still complex, these components that you can pick and choose and with the maturity that comes over the years, it is simpler. It is a simpler setup.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Cert Manager is a Kubernetes component. What is it called? Is it a pod? Is it a kubelet? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> I
0: see. I see where we're going with this. So, let me call it uh, additional components. Okay. It's an additional component that you install in your Kubernetes cluster that gives you, it extends the Kubernetes API with extra knowledge. So your Kubernetes API, by default, you say, I want a deployment, right? Let's say, let's just go with a deployment. But then how do you ask it for a certificate? So once you install cert manager, it's a component that in a way teaches your Kubernetes API about certificates.
1: Mm. So
0: then you can say, hey, Kubernetes, give me a certificate. And cert manager, it has a bunch of components inside, but let's say it's like one thing. Mm -hmm. It knows how to make that happen.
2: Gotcha. So... Inside, it's like the, the complexity is on the inside, you know, all of the difficulties and the confusion and the technical intricacies are on the inside. And if you can get it set up and configured and make use of it, your life is simpler, right?
0: Exactly. Once, like those components, they are hiding the complexity, which will be there no matter what you do, no matter what you use. But they allow you to ask for things via the single API. And the thing which gets me really excited about Kubernetes is that everything gets standardized between a single API. And it goes to the point like you want a VM or you want a resource, you talk to the same API and all you have to do is install the right components of the API or like those components know how to translate your request into an actual thing, whatever you may want. So load balances, you no longer have to provision load balances based on your provider, whoever you are getting your Kubernetes from, it knows how to translate that request into a load balancer. Certificate, same thing.
1: Mm. Why then do we have to wait for LKE to make it easier? And I guess it's sort of a loaded question to some degree, because like, every cloud needs to have its own Kubernetes engine. They have their own fork of it or version of it that sort of runs natively in their environment. It's probably because it needs to plug in certain places, but we had to wait for LKE to make it possible. Like you had mentioned, we can use Terraform beforehand and Ansible and sort of do it ourselves, but LKE made it, I suppose, easier on Linode. Why is that?
0: So first of all, the most important thing when you start off your Kubernetes journey in production, you want to manage Kubernetes. And what that means is that you want updates to be applied automatically, you want the control plane, which is the API component itself. You want that to be set up separately from everything else. And you just want to consume this API. Not only that, but you want your Kubernetes cluster to be integrated with other things that that provider has. For example, node balances in the case of Linode. And while you can install all those components, it's like cobbling it together. So you want the vendor to give you an API That is already pre-configured with a bunch of things not only that but when there are updates you want your vendor to just take care of them you can Mm -hmm. specify when you're okay to get updates and you want to specify maybe which versions of kubernetes you want like do you want the latest one or do you want to be more conservative and stay behind but you don't want to worry about updating the infrastructure when it like the core infrastructure so to speak so in our case we had to update core os That was like our responsibility to update the VM. But with LKE, we still have to do it in the sense that we have to run the command, but that's it, we run one command, it will do it for us. And I'm hoping that not too far away from today, not too far in the future, LKE will be able to update itself based on a schedule. I mean, that would be the dream, right? So Mm that the vendor will keep the API automatically updated, all the right versions for us already deployed, and then we only are responsibility to become the components that we add on top and inside of this api as i mentioned cert manager uh, ingress nginx and, and a bunch of other things that we use yeah
2: it's like for any application there are n concerns that must be taken care of like gerhard said like these things have to happen right like your dns has to happen your certificates have to happen And every application has its own number N. Maybe ours is 100. It's a pretty simple application. Maybe somebody else's is 1,000 things or 1,200 things, whatever it is. And the more of those you can take off your plate and onto your hosting provider's plate is just a win, right? It makes it more achievable for you to manage less and then to manage more. And Mm -hmm. if you were just building your own Kubernetes deployment on top of a VPS or on top of something that's not LKE or Kubernetes engine... There's a whole bunch of things that you have to take care of now that you'd rather not, because maybe it's not your domain expertise, maybe it's just a huge time sink. And the more they can do, probably better than you can do it, the better off you are. Makes sense.
0: That's right. Another thing which, again, I'm making many assumptions here, but I'm going to mention this, is the whole declarative nature of Kubernetes. You tell it what you want to happen, and it has this like, way of describing things, and it will just make it happen. So I don't have to tell it how it needs to get the certificate. I just tell it, these are the credentials. You just make it happen. And by the way, when it expires, I don't care. I just want you to renew it because I never want an expired certificate, right? So always get me, uh, keep my certificate up to date. The same thing would be true for some of our services. I think that's where we are going next in that we want this automatically updating thing, like updating system, So you want to automatically, for example, update PostgreSQL. Well, how can you do that if it's like not a managed service or if the component doesn't know how to update itself? So that's like another way that Linode, for example, could help with we know like their managed database service in that if we can provision those via the Kubernetes API, which I'm really hoping we'll be able to, then we can offload that responsibility to Linode again. And we always say, just give me a new one, give me a new one, give me the latest one, and do backups for me and do all those things. But we are describing more of what we want and doing less of how that thing happens. Because there's no value, in our case, to spend, like to basically reinvent how we do database backups, right? Or monitoring, right? I mean, I would have thought that by this point, things will have standardized. That's another thing that Kubernetes is, is like a standardization of how to do monitoring, how to do logging. And to begin with, I know there's an explosion of ways, and there's so many ways you can achieve this. But I'm hoping that over time, things will become like the the clear winner, so to speak. So for example, we chose Ingress Nginx to do the TCP routing. But there's so many other ways you, you, you can achieve that. So how do you give all this choice and how do you give all these options to people, but at the same time have like a set of building blocks that just kind of make sense? Mm. That's almost like the next frontier. And I think I, I see providers that they offer more than just Kubernetes. That's like the entry point, if you wish. Like right? sure. you get like curated Kubernetes experiences, which know how to do all these things more and more. Centralized logging, uh, monitoring, as I mentioned, security built-in, policies, all those things.
2: Yeah, the declarative aspect is huge for me because I like to just declare the way things should be and I just don't care about the details anymore. I remember as a young man, I really cared about the details. And I loved scripting. And I'm like, I'm going to write this script, A and then B and then C and then maybe run D, but maybe not. And then like, I took joy. I still like to script things sometimes. But I really took joy in like the details, the imperative details, the programming of how to roll out a thing. I used to roll my own deploys with Rsync sync and all that kind of stuff. But I just don't have time for that. I just want to say, hey, I want an SSL certificate on this domain, and I want it to always be fresh. And I just wanted to configure it. And the details of how that happens are just not my concern. And it's really a a shift. It, it feels good to just be able to declare. I mean, there's almost like a God complex. Like, I declare this is going to happen, and then like it happens. It's like, oh, that feels pretty good, right? Yeah. And so I think that's a, definitely a holy grail and a shift from a time where everybody is writing code to do their operations and now we're writing YAML to do our operations whether you like YAML or not it's <laughs> a lot simpler than a Turing complete although it's YAML Turing complete it might be it's simpler than code generally Gerhard you probably know is YAML Turing complete?
0: Mm, I don't know honestly okay. I don't know mind blank because I'm already thinking about something else so I don't want <laughs> okay. to lose my idea <laughs> Go so, ahead, yeah, move on. So not only that you declare how you want things to be, but if anything diverges from what you declared, it will automatically try to reconverge back on that point. And that's the really cool thing about VMs going away, right? You can lose a VM and it's okay because the system knows what you want. And if that's not true, it will try to reconcile on that state. So you no longer have to worry about VMs going away and your apps going down right, or your database going down or whatever, it will automatically spin up on one of the healthy VMs. Not to mention about resource, like finding where to put things, you don't have that problem anymore. And I remember many years back when Kelsey Hightower gave a demo, the Tetris demo, right? I mean, that was it. That was like Kubernetes in one very simple picture. It will figure a bunch of things out that you thought were important, but aren't. And figuring out what your capacity is and where you need to put things, do you need to go up or do you need to go down or scale, all those things can be taken care of. I think that's super powerful.
1: This episode of The Changeline is brought to you by Teamistry. Teamistry is a podcast that tells the stories of teams, who work together in new and unexpected ways to achieve remarkable things. Each episode of Team History tells a story, and in each story you'll find practical lessons for your team and your business. I got a sneak preview of Season 2, and I couldn't stop listening. I was once in the U.S. Army, and nothing gets me more excited than seeing teams achieve great things when they learn to work together. And that's exactly what the show delivers. This season, the show travels deep into the underwater caves of northern Thailand, to discover how divers, medics, soldiers, and volunteers saved a group of trapped teenagers, explains how a world-renowned watch company pit their two factories against each other in an attempt to become the best watchmaker in the world and finds out how Iceland went from having one of the highest COVID-19 death rates to a model example of how to deal with the virus. These are stories that entertain and they're packed with business cases you can actually use. Season two of Teamistry is out right now. Search for Teamistry anywhere you listen to podcasts. Check the show for a link to subscribe and many thanks to our friends at Teamistry for their support. So it's worth noting that we don't really need what we have, I suppose, around Kubernetes. Like This is for fun to some degree. One, we love Linode; They're a great partner. Two, we love you, Gerhard, and all the work we've done here. We don't really need this setup. It's it's about, one, it's about learning ourselves, but then also sharing that. So obviously, changelow.com is open source. All the code is open source. So if you're curious how this is implemented, you can look in our code base. But beyond that, I think it's important to, to sort of remind our audience that we don't really need this. It's it's fun to have mm-hmm. and actually a worthwhile investment for us because this does cost us money. GearHead does not work for free. And it's part of this desire to sort of like learn for ourselves and also to share it with everyone else. So uh, that's fun. It's fun to do.
0: There's something which I would like to add here. And I would like to answer the question of how does this help you, a changelog listener? So... Kubernetes is everywhere. You can't avoid it. There's a lot of documentation, examples, guides, but we go beyond that, right? We, we show you how to run a web application in production with Kubernetes, which apparently everybody's doing these days or trying to figure out, and there's like so many opinions. And so how do you actually do it? Well, we we'll show you how. So changelog.com itself runs on Linode Kubernetes engine. It's proof that it's easy, straightforward, and it works. And we have all the commits to back this up. We have all the code to back this up. You can see what choices we've made. And I really love what we have built. And I really love that we can keep it real. We can still deliver business value, right? No one stopped anybody from shipping. And it's just a bunch of us. It doesn't take a teams of 10, 20, 30 people to do this. It takes a person an hour here, an hour there. When you add it all up, maybe it's a few weeks in, I don't know, six months, five months, however long it was, it doesn't take that long. And we enjoy working with our partners. We enjoy working with Linode. And I would like to give a shout out to Andrew Zauber, the Linode engineer that has been with us through all this. And we have not only been improving Linode Kubernetes engine, but we also had some discussions about the improvements that would make sense. Maybe things that weren't as obvious until we started using it or like a bunch of people started using it and giving all this real-world feedback. So we want you to succeed with Kubernetes, like Changelog wants you to be successful with Kubernetes. And not only that, the entire ecosystem, there's so much choice. And we haven't made the best choice, but we made the choice that makes sense for us, given our constraints. And it works. We are transparent about it. We share everything. And yeah, it's, it's all out there.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk some more about some of the choices that we made like Garrett said these are choices that we made for our circumstance and our application they're not necessarily the ones that you should make but it's an example of a choice that you can make and we can give our thoughts and opinions on whether or not it's working out or was it a good choice, bad choice, why did we choose that part of that what this show is for but also continuing forward after this show we'd love to have conversations with listeners and everybody about these things So, we mentioned a few components of the Kubernetes API that you put together. The cert manager, you mentioned Nginx, ingress. There's also some DNS, external DNS is another DNS management. Is it the exact same thing as cert manager, only it has a different function?
0: It's an extension. It's a DNS simple extension so that we can provision wildcard TLS certificates. Uh, So, we needed that to do the integration with our DNS provider, which is DNS simple. And yeah, I mean, those are like the four core components. And I simply pick them based on maturity, based on community, based on how things are going. And integrating them was fairly simple and straightforward. And you can see how we've done them. Mm -hmm. So Ingress Nginx, super simple for TCP routing. And it automatically integrates with node balances, with node balances. So that was great. I'm not going to go over all of them, but what I'll mention is I'll mention about uh, Q Prometheus, which is the operator, it's an operator that we use to set up Grafana and Prometheus for ChangeLog. So if you go to grafana.changelog.com, that's basically where we host all the metrics for Kubernetes. What we don't have currently, but we would like to add, is integrating Prometheus with all the services that we use. So for example, for a database, we use the crunchy data PostgreSQL operator. So you would like to integrate Kube Prometheus with our PostgreSQL database. Same thing for Ingress Nginx, which we currently don't have. We're just looking at Kubernetes metrics and system metrics. But there's relatively simple and straightforward to add all those extra things. And I suppose that's what's coming next. Mm -hmm. So we have better visibility into what happens inside of changelog.com and all the services that we depend on.
2: Another aspect of the setup you have is Mm Keel, which was news to me we also have k9s which is the coolest part of the setup Sure is. Uh, from my perspective so we should talk about that but as we get into keel it might be useful it's useful for me as well even as someone who's a part of this party to just understand like what does a deployment look like so from i push a commit to github our master branch on github then to what happens yet because we have a github based deploy right we're we're pushing and it deploys on our behalf can you walk through just like the you know this then this then this the the nuts and bolts that i don't want to have to care about but when things break down we have to care about
0: okay so let's just introduce keel very briefly sure keel automates updates of helm deployments or daemon sets or stateful sets or deployments so when there's an update to an image or to something it will automatically update or it can update based on certain rules, whatever is running in Kubernetes. So in our case, we use Keel to trigger automatic updates for the app itself. And there's a bit of controversy here in that GitOps is up and coming. And I don't want to go into that now, but that's like another approach. So one approach is to do GitOps and use Flux or Argo CD, or use something like Keel, which goes against some of the things that GitOps stands for. But I'm not okay. going to go into that now. Okay. To your second question, how does everything work? In 2018, I made the decision to separate, <laughs> to separate <laughs> building and publishing and testing from the actual deployment. So what you actually have is CIs that deploy code into production. And I think that is very dangerous and very wrong because your CI has the keys to your production environment. And I wouldn't do that. So our CI stops at publishing images to docker hub and a push to github triggers a build and circle ci which runs tests which compiles assets and if everything is fine pulls dependencies and it builds a docker image and the last step is to publish the artifact the docker image or the container image to docker hub and that's it that's where ci stops now what we used to have before we had this very simple loop that would continuously update the docker service it's super simple if there's a new one is this it's like s- a
2: bash while one kind of a thing
0: that's it that's exactly it was like three lines of code super simple okay so keel is a bit more complex than that but the principle is very simple because why wouldn't you want to run the latest version of your app that passes all its tests has all the dependencies in production. I mean, why wouldn't you want that? I, I can't, like, that's what we want, right? Like, you want your commits, if everything is fine, to go into production, right? That's what you right. want.
2: <laughs> so... Like, maybe the only time I think you wouldn't want that is, like, what if it mismatched your database schema or something, and there w- that was unable to resolve, and then you, like, want to roll it back. But you, you wouldn't know that till you rolled it out. So, of course, you want that.
0: Yes. Yeah, you can do, like, things, if you have migrations, by the way, you run, every deploy runs migrations... So when when the new app starts, we do blue-green deploys, by the way. It's all handled very nicely by the deployment uh, model in Kubernetes. So we don't have to worry about any of that. So when the new version comes up, you're right. You run like the migration and maybe something can go wrong. So yes. But if the app fails to start, you have readiness probes that will not put it in the load balancer. And if it crashes, well, there you go. It crashes.
2: What's a readiness probe? Is it like a thing that says, hey, are you ready? Hey, are you ready? (laughs) <laughs>
0: so, so, there, so there's a startup probe, there's a liveness probe, and there's a readiness probe in Kubernetes. There are like three types of probes. Okay. The readiness probe determines when the pod is ready. And ready means when is it ready to serve traffic in the case of a web app. So you need to be listening to the TCP socket that you say you'll be listening And maybe you can do checks and we determine if like you get 200 back. So is the HTTP response 200? And if it is, the app is ready to be put in the load balancer.
2: So you declare what ready looks like. Exactly. Gotcha.
0: Exactly. So the app may keep crashing and that's it's okay. The old app will not be taken down. And until the new app is ready, it runs all the migrations and everything is fine. It won't promote it. There is a risk of the new version a migration that the old version can't work with
2: right i was just thinking about that and then
0: you will have taken production down yeah but in all the years that you've been working on changelog how many times did that happen
2: Uh, i can't think of one exactly zero
0: (laughs) (laughs) so in four years it never happened right like phoenix 2016 that's what i remember since we started developing in phoenix we've never had that situation happen to us
2: no well and our schema is pretty stable i mean it's rare at this point that we make m- massive changes to our schema these things are you know pretty well thought out and in place and working and usually it's additive every once in a while i'll decide i actually hate the name of something i named 4 years ago and because i'm pedantic and a completionist i can't merely rename it in the code i also have to like rename the database table because there's a mismatch and i can't have that and that would be like a major change like i'm going to rename a database table But it's very rare. And so most of the changes then are additive, right? I'm going to add a key. I'm going to add a column. We're going to add a new table because we're trying something new. These things rarely cause data problems and migration problems.
0: Well, again, in four years, I don't remember one. Right, me neither. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we never had an issue with this.
2: But what if, here's where we can spend all the money, right? Mm. As engineers is, what if?
0: I know, right? That's the danger.
2: (laughs) And that's where you spend all your money, right there on that what if. Anyways, keep going.
0: Exactly. So Keel does something very similar to what our while loop was doing, but a bit more, in that Docker Hub now sends a webhook to Keel for listening, like on a public IP. There's a a host and listens on these webhooks when there's been an update to the image that we publish. And if there has, Keel will trigger an update to our deployment. It all happens seamlessly, automatically. The new version comes up and everybody's happy. It also does periodic uh, polls. It's polling Docker Hub to see if there's a new version. And if there is, first, maybe the webhook failed to be sent or we missed it. I haven't seen it happen. What I did see happen is keel locking up. We just saw that before the show, by the way. But we're not running the latest version of Keel. So maybe that's something worth updating, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, whenever you do a commit, a few minutes later, you have it in production. And it's been like that for years for us. So it works, and it's simple. There you go. Now, we can make it a lot more complex, and I would like us to look at GitOps sooner or later.
2: Tell us what GitOps is, because you keep saying I'm not yeah. going to talk about that, but I don't know what it is. Is this like you let your Git do your ops? What's GitOps?
0: Okay, so GitOps is a way of implementing deployments. So you have continuous deployments, you're continuously deploying code, but it's a way of implementing continuous deployments in cloud-native applications. So if you're using Kubernetes you're cloud-native, or at least that's the tagline. And what GitOps does, it allows you to define everything about your application using Git, including which version you should be running in production. So if you were using GitOps with changelog, there would be a commit for every single deploy which would need to be approved, merged somewhere, so we would roll out mm. the latest version. Got you. So you're basically versioning what runs in production. To some extent, we already are doing that because all our YAML that defines all the changelog services is in Git. Right. What we don't have, we don't apply those changes by some sort like an automated system. It's either you or me that says... But we have make targets, which apply all those things. And that's how we roll out changes. But for the app, which changes a lot more often, we don't run commands, or we don't have a CI running commands every single time there's an update. We don't do that. The app, we have keel that automatically updates whatever's running in production.
2: And why would the GitOps advocates say that we're doing it wrong, quote unquote? It's because they they want that history. They want that to be like an atomic aspect of their application, deployments, to be like explicit, atomic, logged things is that why
0: yes that's one of the reasons the other reason the more important one is you always know what you're running in production so if i asked you what version of the app we're running now in production you say master but master (laughs) always changes sure so imagine if you have if you're deploying a hundred instances of your app just imagine about that for a second if you're deploying 100 app instances, by the time the 90th instance gets spun up, if it's looking at master, it may pull a different version because master may have changed during the deployment. And if you have many developers pushing Mm -hmm. lots of code and master always keeps changing, then you could have multiple versions of your application running and you wouldn't even know it. Gotcha. Not to mention that when something crashes and master has changed... Again, the version that you thought you were running will change because you pull the latest image. And there's like a bunch of things, for example, um, in Kubernetes, you're advised to use versions, the exact version of what you're deploying, like your image. Well, we're using latest. And latest means whatever is latest mm-hmm. and that changes. So in that, from that perspective, we are breaking you know, the, like the fully declarative in a way, because we can't recreate the same thing, right? That multiple runs of the same thing, sorry, not declarative idempotent. Mm We don't have idempotency because multiple runs will end up with different states because latest is fluid. It can be anything.
2: Gotcha. Mm -hmm.
1: So does Flux then or Argo CD, do they capture the version? Yes. Essentially for us, that way, all the instances that roll out or potentially roll out if we have more than one like we might
0: exactly and every single change it. yes is versioned yes yes and tracked separately but then like right now all our code including the infrastructure code is a single repository with Argo, CD or flux you need another repository that tracks what gets deployed because if you think about it if a commit triggers another commit and the commit triggers another commit you have a continuous loop of commits triggering commits and it never ends right so if an infinite commit loop mm. By capturing what you've deployed, you're bumping the version of the artifact that's getting deployed, and you just end up with that.
2: Just recursively does that.
0: Exactly. So we would need to have another repository which keeps track of what gets deployed. And from our perspective, we wanted to keep changelogs self-contained, and that if you pull down one repository, you have everything there.
2: Yeah, we used to (laughs) have two repos. We had an infrastructure repo. Exactly. We had the source code repo, and we were happy to get rid of the other one Mm -hmm. and have just one place where everything lives. So simple.
0: Yeah, but maybe we can somehow, I don't know, configure the CI to ignore certain commits so it won't build if certain paths change. I mean, that I know it's possible in some CIs. And mm-hmm. then we can also maybe do Argo or like Flux, whatever we choose to maybe not deploy every commits, maybe be a bit more selective. I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't know. But maybe we can exclude, like basically we can break this infinite loop. Yeah.
1: So a a new version gets spun up every time there's a new push to master. So if I'm working on something and Jared's working on something and we just yes. happen to push in similar timeframes, his push triggers a new version in this you know GitOps world. Uh, his push initiates a new version, mine does too, and you know, obviously latest in would be the latest version eventually to get to my version if I'm after Jared, for example. So if Jared commits, then I commit. And there's two new, two new versions that are going to roll out, but mine being the latter one will be the latest version that's rolled out. So it'll eventually just get to it. So there's a timeframe potentially even in there, right? Because you, you have to sort of initiate or stand up two different versions, roll that one out, and then roll the next one out. Is that roughly a, a scenario? Is that how that works? That's how ours works, right? Right. Ours works
0: exactly the same way, but basically key will trigger multiple deploys. So every push to go through the pipeline takes a few minutes yeah so even if they enter the same time and we don't have parallelism so we do like one build at a time so you have what your jared's build in your example goes out gets deployed a few minutes later your build arrives and goes out again so you'll have two deploys within the span of a few minutes Mm. but right now we have a single app instance right so we don't have like multiple apps running in production and there's like reasons for it. We don't need to get into now, but we have only one app version, one app instance running at any point. If we had a hundred app instances, which were running across, let's say, I don't know, ten hosts, ten VMs for scalability reasons, which again we don't have, but what if, to go back to what Jared was saying, mm-hmm. then we may have problems.
1: Yeah. We're solving our problems, not everybody's, but we're at least showing that it's possible, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And aware that we can, not so much that we need to. Yeah. Which is important.
0: Yeah, I mean, we chose Kiel because it's really simple. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) a lot of choices which we made is because it's simple and it suits us. And I would argue that it would suit the majority. Unless you're like a really big team with like a really big Kubernetes deployment and investment and all that, then you may need to do things differently, more certainly than not. But if you're like a small team of, let's say, up to 10 people, have a bunch of apps, this may work perfectly well for a long, long time.
1: what's up friends have you ever seen a problem thought to yourself i bet i could do that better our friends at equinix agree equinix is the world's digital infrastructure company and they've been connecting and empowering the digital world for over 20 years now they just launched a new product called equinix metal it's built from the ground up to empower developers with low latency high performance infrastructure anywhere we'd love for you to try it out and give them your feedback Visit info.equinexmetal.com slash changelog to get $500 in free credit to play with, plus a rad t-shirt. Again, info.equinexmetal.com slash changelog get $500 in free credit. Equinex Metal, bill freely. Availability, because one of the reasons why you even build this kind of infrastructure is for resilience, for availability, and I suppose to test that, let's take the site down.
0: I love In that drink. idea. I think that's that's <laughs> the best idea we've had all
1: evening. I think so too. Be- before we do it, what's going to happen? What should happen?
0: Okay, so what should happen is we have a three-node Kubernetes cluster. The application and the database are running on one node they're close together and when we take the VM down another VM will just delete the node another VM should be created and in the meantime the website the app should migrate in the database from the VM that was deleted onto one of the other two VMs which are still running okay and I say VMs because it's Kubernetes nodes. We have three. So we delete one. We expect Linode to recreate the VM, reprovision, like notice that, hey, there should be three. There's only one. And in the meantime, we expect the website to be recreated on one of the other two VMs and the database and everything to be okay. back together. That's what we expect to happen.
2: Okay. What are the odds? What are the odds? Where are you sitting? Like in, how many nines are you thinking this is going to work? So I don't
0: (laughs) expect this to take more than 10 minutes. And last time when I tried this, it was seven minutes. How many nines? Less than 0.000 something, right?
2: Well, no, not the nines of availability. How many nines are on your confidence level? Oh, I see. How confident are you?
0: Uh, There's uh, 99.9, yeah. There's a lot of (laughs) nines. (laughs) Let me put it that way. (laughs) There's a lot of nines.
2: All right. More than I have. Let's do this.
0: Well... If it doesn't work, then we can fix it, right?
2: <laughs> right, and we can just edit the show and act like it worked.
0: Exactly. <laughs> but no, I think we should leave like the real thing, right? With like proof how long it took okay. and all that. So,
2: Listeners, listen closely. There will be no edit stops here. There will be no breaks.
0: Okay, so the nodes. Here we go. And let's do this. Uh, okay. B29D. Let's go to nodes. Nodes. And I'm going to delete it. 29B. Okay. There you go. Delete node. I can't. I can't delete the node from here. Okay. I can't delete the node from here. I need to go to the Linode console.
1: So
0: oh. To to cloud console. Logistics. Okay. Logistics. Yeah. Because I can drain it. I can do other things. I can't just delete a node, right? You're not supposed so to do you're that. you're
2: trying to access it through K9s. 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 I don't know how you pronounce it. Yeah. K9. K9s. Which is a really cool CLI, like a awesome terminal app for accessing all the information about your Kubernetes clusters, but does not give the ability to delete things, apparently.
0: Yeah, not nodes, not nodes. For safety,
2: you can't delete nodes for safety reasons.
0: But we're going to delete the VM, not power off, not reboot, delete. You're going to you delete the VM. Okay.
2: See, I'm okay. nervous. From, this is from now the Linode Cloud admin. Are you
0: sure you
1: want to delete this?
2: <laughs> I am.
0: This is permanent. I want to take changelog.com down and see how long it takes before it comes back up. Okay. Right. I'm starting to stopwatch too. Here we go. This is proof of the pudding. Right? right. If the pudding Let's is good, out. this will work. All right, here we Ready? go. Ready, delete. Boom. The VM's gone. <sighs> Stop what started. We'll see.
2: I expect kay. to get an email from Pingdom here very shortly.
0: Yep. we will take a as minute. As well as
2: a push notification to my watch.
1: Mm-hmm. Walk us through why the 10 minutes. What's the window there? Why is it roughly 10 minutes? Why is it not more than 10 minutes? What's, in, what's kind of happening behind the scenes now?
0: So behind the scenes, the VM is uh, going away, being deleted, being stopped, going away. The app will stop working. And it will take a while for the Kubernetes to figure out that the node is not healthy. So we can see that the node is still ready, according to canines, according to Kubernetes. But we know that we have deleted the VM. It will take a while for that to be deleted, and when it's properly gone, when it's no longer there, like the, the physical VM has been powered down, we expect Kubernetes to try to re-spin, or to recreate the app on another node that's healthy and ready and ready to go. So it's still up, right? We said delete VM. It's, it's red. We can see it. But has it actually been deleted?
2: I just got a notification from Pingdom that we are down.
0: There we go. So now Kubernetes confirmed that. We no longer have the node. So now what's going to happen, if we look at the deployment, if we look at the app, there we go, it's down, and it has not been created anywhere. So what's the reason? It's persistent volume claim, a reference to persistent volume in the same namespace. I think that's okay. Minimum replicas unavailable. Where are the events? Let's see. Let's go to event. Uh, Pulled. Everything's fine. 95 seconds ago. Pulled all these things. Still fine. Still waiting. It's not a problem. Let's see, maybe at pulse. Oh, there you go. Warning, attached, failed attach volume. That's what we're waiting for. So multi-attach error for volume PVC. So this volume is already attached to another VM, the one that we deleted
2: it. Mm-hmm. So it got to detach it.
0: Exactly, before it can reattach it to another VM.
2: And that takes some time.
0: That takes some time, exactly. I don't know. Well, last mm-hmm. time when I tested this, it took um, seven minutes. End to end. In seven minutes, everything was back up. We're still down, by the way.
1: So answer this then. I go to change right now and I get a five oh three. A service, you know, service is down essentially. It's not right. available. Right. But yeah. via ping in the terminal, I'm pinging changel.com. I'm still getting a ping. Is that the node balance? That is
0: node balance, exactly. Yeah. Not only that, but we're hitting Nginx, right? So right. we have Nginx deployed on every single VM on every single Kubernetes node. So we have three instances of Nginx Ingress. So you can get to node balance, so you can get to um, Nginx, which runs in Kubernetes, but you can't get to the application. There's no application running, so it can't service these requests. So you're getting 503s.
2: So this is a lot like chaos engineering here, only we are manually introducing, we are the chaos monkey, Mm -hmm. and we are monkeying with ourselves while we record a podcast. So it's like a step beyond, like even more idiotic than (laughs) chaos engineering is what we're doing right now. But so far, we think it's working. And so that makes us feel good. But it's just kind of hurry up and wait to see if this thing can get reattached and and go from there.
1: Yeah. We're three minutes and 40 seconds in according to my stopwatch. So, Gerhard, we had a downtime.
2: So the the difference between this and our old setup is this is going to auto-heal mm-hmm. as long as it works as advertised. Whereas last time we had, last year, we had a downtime which lasted multiple hours mm-hmm. where it got into a state that it was never going to, it doesn't auto-heal. Like I had to basically drive home and get a hold of you and, and figure it out. You want to tell that story a little bit while I wait here?
0: So last year what happened, the Docker service basically under which... We had a single VM back in the day and we were running Docker Swarm on a single VM and the Docker service was not configured to automatically start. I was expecting, to be honest, for the operating system to have this essential service by default started, but that was not the case. So Mm -hmm. we had to manually start the Docker service so that everything else would basically come back up. And that was the problem. Obviously, we fixed it since, but the Docker service, the Docker daemon, in that case, was not running, meaning that there was no changelog app, no database, none of those things.
2: Right, and that Docker service wasn't managed or was supposed to be managed by CoreOS, but wasn't being or something like that?
0: It wasn't configured to automatically restart when the operating system restarts. So what can we see here is now we can see that the volume failed to mount after it failed to attach it, now it attached the volume so we can see that both the database and the application have the volume attached and what i expect to happen very soon the application to spin up we can see the containers creating both the application and the database and we can see they tried to create it for three minutes and 40 seconds it tried to basically it was aware that's when it started being aware that hey i have to recreate this pod the app pod and the database pod Mm -hmm. so Four minutes container creating. Let's see what's the state of it. If we describe it successfully signed, the yeah, multi attach was fixed. So let's see if we look at the logs. There's nothing there. Database backup. Still container creating. We're in container creating. This one's ready now. i no, sorry, no, it has just readiness probe. Let's see what state it's in. Still container creating. The database is already running. That's a good sign. There we go. We have PostgreSQL. I'm a secondary and I'm following a leader. So, this is the leader now. The leadership changed. We have, anyways, I'm not going to go into the details now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I like this. I feel like you could be a play by play commentator. This is like sports announcer. That's right. This is like the radio yeah. when you're trying to listen to the game and you have no idea what's going on and he's telling you which direction they're running. You're over here telling us exactly what K9s is reporting back. That's right.
1: You're on k radio. <laughs>
2: and Adam and I have the advantage of the visuals here. The listeners are like, what is going on over there? Yeah, the website's still down. Here's what's going on, listeners. The website is still down. And Gerhard's trying to give us confidence here. Yeah. And it's coming back up. It's coming.
0: I have confidence in this. All I have to do is just basically, you know, let it play out. I know the right thing will happen. It will reconcile. Running. There you go. The app is up. Yes, baby.
2: The app is running
0: five minutes later according to this
2: how how much do you have adam on your stopwatch seven minutes Ooh. are we back up i don't see it up on my side pingdom hasn't told me yet okay. Let's let me see. see if i can refresh the
1: page look here. at that it's booting no nope. yeah it's booting I'm still unavailable ping never failed so that's good Load balancing happened and we're back baby yeah that's true okay official time is seven minutes and 35 seconds according to at least my refresh
0: there you go cool
1: very cool too overwhelmed or underwhelmed? And the dashboard <laughs> that provided all this was K9s. It was K9s. It's a great... Eth- yes, yeah, so, I mean, you can watch the play-by-play of failure, essentially. Is this official observability, or is this, is there, are there better tools, or is this just capable enough to be good for us for now?
0: Okay, so K9s, it's an end interface to Kubernetes, which means that you can do things really quickly, really efficiently by just using shortcuts. Mm-hmm. It runs in your terminal... And you can do all sorts of amazing things with Kubernetes without having to type all those commands, without having to worry about shell auto-completion or whatever. And if I remember correctly, K9s actually won an award recently, a CNCF award. I'm Googling it this up as I speak. What happened with, C- with K9s? K9s, award, uh, K9s, Kubernetes. I wish I remember this. It was... 10 open source. No, that's from last year, 2019. There's something in 2020 that canines was mentioned on Twitter. Mm. 2020 canines grant.
2: No, that's something else. I know Jared logged it at the tail end of 2019. I logged it just recently again.
1: And then again this year, whenever you had a chance to play with it.
2: Yeah, I had to log it again because I started using it yeah. finally. And I was like, oh yeah, this thing is yeah. awesome. And so I logged it again okay. after Gerhard showed this it to is me. This
0: Great to see pods being scheduled uh, quite a bit, uses a lot of CPU. There was something here that was mentioning the canines once something was recognized, like the developer, canines developer for something, I forget the exact detail. Anyways, we can can look it up and we can uh, link in the show notes, but um, canines, it's a really easy way of just jumping around your Kubernetes cluster, having a play with different resources, tailing the logs for example i'm on the app container right now if i press s it asks me which container i want to open a shell in so right now i open the shell in production on the production app like one command away and it makes stuff like this really simple
1: yeah which is excellent what would you do beforehand just uh completion foo you know what, what would you do
2: well, I used to, would SSH to the server and then connect into the Docker container and then yeah. go from there. Was what I would do wow. on the previous setup.
0: So the equivalent would be if I do Kubernetes exec it, which pod app, which container app. So this is what I need to run. And then what do I want to exec? Well, maybe it will, yeah, you must specify on commands or bash. So this is what I would need to do, deprecated exec pod. So I need to do, there you go. I need to do dash, dash. Pods not found. So what's the name of the pod? Let me go back out because the pod, there you go. It's this basically. It has like an... You
2: gotta find the pod
1: name. So yeah.
0: that's what I need to do to... Yeah.
1: It's a very visual. It's a very visual dashboard to Kubernetes essentially.
0: Oh, no, hang on. I know what the problem is. The problem is that I need to namespace. There you go. It's stuff like this, right? They need to be in the right
2: namespace. Heck with that. Shout out to Ferdinand Galeana, a.k.a. Drail on GitHub, the author of K9s. Super cool tool. Thanks, Fernand. We appreciate it. Hey, it looks like he offers corporate training for Go and Kubernetes, so there's your shout out, Fernand. Awesome, Gerhard. Well, the availability is back. Now, you mentioned last year we had almost four hours of mm-hmm. downtime. We just experienced seven minutes of downtime here. Which we should deduct for more. Actual downtime, too. But how are we doing so far this year? We're doing much better.
0: Definitely. So last year, 2019, we had that pretty bad downtime due to the Docker service. That was actually almost two hours we had of downtime due to the misconfigured Docker service. Mm -hmm. So for the whole 2019, our availability SLI was 99.96. So three nines and a six, which means that we were down for 220 minutes for all of 2019, we had 50 micro downtimes. And that has to do with how the Docker does the promotion for different, um, like when it does like blue green. Mm. So all in all, we had almost four hours of downtime. This year, 2020, mm. with the LKE migration, which we started way back when, I don't know, January, February was ongoing. April, we had a bunch of stuff already migrated. We had that, that um, use case with Rob, yogal and we had already a parallel deployment on lke and then we f- completed everything i think it was in july or august when we were through so while this was happening including the migration okay it's two more months to go we were down for 68 minutes all of 2020 so that means we're just below four nines, 99.988, something like that. That's where we are. Mm-hmm. And half of the downtime was because of the migration. There's an interesting story there. Right. It had to do with the slow DNS propagation when we switched over. Mm-hmm. We hit the let's encrypt search request limit because the DNS wasn't fully propagated which means Let's Encrypt was throttling us, and when the DNS did propagate, we couldn't get the certificate fast enough.
1: Mm. I'll have to email Josh about that, Jared. Get that API limit raised. Do
2: something for us. Yeah, come on, man. Let us hit that thing more.
1: (laughs) It was my mistake. It was a one-off. The reason
0: why it was my mistake is because the TTL in DNS uh, manager, DNS manager, external DNS, the TTL in external DNS defaults to one hour. Mm. I have since changed to 60 seconds. So had it been like 60 seconds I could have flipped back within a few minutes. But because it was an hour once it goes out you have to realize that DNS resolvers will cache it for 1 hour. Sure. So even if you change it they will keep serving the 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 wrong IP address and that's why in some parts of the world it was okay and I knew how to basically clear clear the DNS but for most people it was down.
1: Mm.
2: Don't you think a 60-second DNS TTL is pretty low for a normal scenario? Like, Aren't people going to be hitting their DNS root servers more often when coming to our website versus a higher number? To me, it makes more sense that you would like crank it down when you're going to make migrations and then crank it back up when you're pretty stable. But is, it, is that just a thing that doesn't really matter in, the, in, in practice? In practice, it
0: doesn't really matter. All the big names. Am I still sharing my screen? I am sharing my screen. Yes, you you sure are. Yeah. So if you look at github.com, they have 60 seconds. github.com, a single IP address, it's global anycast, they have 60 seconds. So all the big names, they have a really low DNS TTL. What about google.com? 60 seconds. Single IP address. Give me one more. What about microsoft.com? Try microsoft.com. They have a high one. I wouldn't be comfortable with such Ah. a high TTL. (laughs) <laughs> because if you need to change it, right, when something goes wrong, and if you need to change it, well, the TTL is already out there, right?
2: Yeah, but couldn't you just say, like, on your way up to a deployment, like, we knew we were going to roll this thing out. Like, part of your step is, like, we're going to lower our TTLs all down to 60 seconds, and then we're going to do our stuff, and when it's all done, we're going to raise them back up and let people hold on to that cache. I mean, caching is nice. man. It
0: nice. is, and that's why this is what we recommend that the TTL is, But DNS resolvers will implement theirs, and ISPs will implement theirs. So, and not to mention that if you have a router, like Adam has a very smart router, it has its own caching setting. Yeah. So it's turtles all the way down. And while you recommend 60 seconds, who knows what the different DNS resolvers will use? Some may use an hour, regardless what the upstream Mm -hmm. says but what we care about is that at least the dns that respect those settings will pick it up soon enough in the big scheme of things gotcha. it's so small i mean the dns requests are really a very small amount of traffic that goes through the internet these days sure and what i would ask is why don't we have instantaneous updates and i think that's what some providers already have like cloudflare for example like the big ones
2: how do, well, rat hole. I was going to ask how they get that done but we, we don't have to go there.
0: I don't know myself to <laughs> be honest. Uh, I mean it changes. Right. It's not something I keep up to date but I do know that instantaneous updates, especially when something goes wrong, they're so handy to have. Right? What happens if the IP gets compromised or whatever? So many things that can happen. It's almost like a um, safety release mechanism if you wish. You know, Maybe you won't yeah. need it. But when you will, it's good to have it.
2: And there's nothing worse than when you really need it and you're like, well, we got to wait 60 minutes for this thing. And that's exactly what happened last time. So That's how you kill your nines right there.
0: Not to mention that you need to wait, Mm -hmm. right? So you need to wait for an hour before the new TTL will be picked up. Right. So yeah, you need to say, okay, I'm going to upgrade in one hour because (laughs) that's how long it will wait for the TTL to expire before the new one will be picked up.
2: And that's when your boss fires <laughs> you.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, good stuff. Well, well, with availability though comes some acronyms, right? Oh some, yeah, some new acronyms at least. SLO, SLI. Uh, did we have these before, and I just didn't, I didn't know about it, or is this like new to the world of? There's always a new TLA.
0: The new TLA.
2: Three letter acronym. A three-letter acronym. There's always a three-letter acronym.
0: I see. Three-letter. Okay, I thought you meant like TLA, like the TLA plus. (laughs) Okay, I was thinking about something completely different. Uh, (laughs) I got you. So did we have this before? I don't think we formally had it. Like, I know that when we talked about Jared, like how much downtime would you be okay with? Because the less downtime you're okay with, the more complex your infrastructure becomes. And he said a few minutes here, a few minutes there, it's okay right? So in this case, seven minutes, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. We can be down for seven minutes. It's not a problem. So when you look across the whole year, how much downtime are we okay to have? And that will become, in this case, our availability SLO. So service level objective, our service level objective is that we are available or we are unavailable for at most 50 minutes in any one year. And that's what your four nines means. The SLI, the service level Mm -hmm. indicator is where, where are we in those 50 minutes? And right now we are at 68 minutes this year, plus an extra seven minutes. So that's like almost like your budget.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But that was rollout year. So 2021 will be the test. Mm -hmm. Of course, by 2021, we may be rolling out new stuff. So let's talk a little bit about things that we didn't do or things that we might do. And uh, then we'll talk about how the listeners can get involved. What haven't we done here? What
0: haven't we done? So the first thing that, as you know, I'm very passionate about is about logs and metrics. I think we need a better understanding of how the system works. While we have grafana.changelog.com and we have all the metrics from the Kubernetes side, from the infrastructure side, we don't have metrics from PostgreSQL, for example. We don't have metrics from our application, Phoenix. It exposes a lot of metrics, So we don't know what's happening inside of our app. Why is it constantly using 8 gigabytes of memory? We don't know that. It would be good to know that so that maybe we can bring it down, we can speed some things up. Another we try to optimize, for example, queries, right? How fast pages load when they're not cached. Mm -hmm. Well, when a page loads, can we see a trace? This is where traces come in. Where's the most time spent in that request timeline? Is it the database? Is it the app itself? What's going on? The other thing that we would like to have is centralize all the logs. So I have Kubernetes and we can see logs for pods easily. K9s makes it super simple, but even if we didn't use K9s, kubectl, kubectl, they're there, but they will be gone once the pod goes. So can we aggregate all those logs? Before we're using Papertrail, but this is something that I wrote about last year. We'd like to try Loki out. We'd like to send all the logs to Loki. And when we send all the logs to Loki, And we already have, for example, maybe IPs for requests, browser agents, user agents. Could you maybe have some dashboards? And I know we talked about this last year to show you maybe where users are coming from, like the stats. Remember that the app currently does. Could we maybe Mm -hmm. use something else and use the logs as they are without having to process them ahead of time? Could we do that? So logging, metrics, integrating everything. The one thing which I think it's everybody's dream is to have an automatically updating system. So could we roll updates to, for example, our container image for the app, the latest version of Erlang or the latest version of Elixir or the latest version of PostgreSQL automatically with no intervention? I think we could. So what does the setup look like? What about automatic Kubernetes updates? We're not on the latest version, we want to upgrade, but someone has to do that upgrade. Could we automate that so we're always running the latest? And can we do it in such a way so that it causes minimal disruption to everything else? Because in a way, you want like the most secure setup, right? the most efficient setup, with no effort, if possible. It just happens, right? Isn't right. it a dream?
2: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. I mean, I would love to just, again, declare an Elixir version, a Postgres version, and not have to worry about how it goes from my current version to that version. I know, especially with Postgres, that can be very tricky with uh, database backend migrations and stuff, like the actual format of the data storage by Postgres can cause issues. But yeah, that would be super cool. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll get there someday.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all within reach, to be honest, like all these systems, once you um, declare them, once they um, are self-updating, self-healing, it's almost like the next step. We want like an automatically updating cluster, if you wish. And how will those updates happen? So for example, you may be okay to update to the latest patch of PostgreSQL automatically, but maybe not to the latest major. Mm -hmm. Maybe you would want to control when majors get rolled out. Totally, But for other things, like, for example, Erlang, you may be okay because it's very backwards compatible and you will always want to have the latest. Right. And maybe you would want to have canary updates, so, like, updates happen, but not in situ. So if something fails, you would like to know what the failure is so that you know how complicated this upgrade will be. It's almost like it will feel for you, like hey, there's a problem with this. You may not even have thought about this. Not to mention that you can then start consuming beta versions, right? And say, hey, I can't upgrade to this because and then you can start feeding back into different development cycles. Like this is completely not working for us or there's like this new feature, which is amazing. Can you ship it, please? Would benefit from it greatly. Mm -hmm. So you can start consuming the latest and greatest in an automated fashion with little effort. And then you can have automatic updates like your phone does. Isn't that great? When you don't have to update all the thousand apps which you have installed, they automatically update. I think that's pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Phones these days update themselves.
2: Until they update on their own and they change their icon. And you're like, what happened? Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the problem. (laughs) This
2: new icon is ugly. I like the old one.
0: Yeah. And then you can't (laughs) go back. I know what you mean.
2: There's no going back either. It's futile. Well, I'd say one of the coolest things about this process this year, I think, has been the contributions back to LKE and to various open source things surrounding Kubernetes and the work that you did there, Gerhard, You know, getting us to where we are right now. I think it's really cool that we can use this as a necessary excuse to help other people and help open source software get pushed forward as well. So that excites me. I hope as we move forward, we continue to look for opportunities like that to work with open source projects and with providers to
1: level everybody up as we use their stuff. I'm surprised it's taken this long to get Let's Encrypt in place. I mean, I know we had an SSL and it was set to expire, but like it's been out for a while. And we finally have it in place in in automation, which is awesome.
0: So we did have Let's Encrypt before manually. Right as we were doing the migration, I remember our certificate was closing expiration, so we didn't want to wait. So we did do it manually, but it was still a bit like, okay, I have to run this command and I have to save the certificate somewhere, um, like in the source of truth, uh, where we keep all our secrets. Then I have to put the certificate on CDN and I have to set it up in the load balance. So there are like a couple of steps which we had to take. But now everything's automated for us because of how the the node balances integrate with the ingress nginx and how all the components know what needs to happen.
1: And to your point Jared, too, there's a lot of services out there now that we're in now that we're actually in cloud native land officially since we're using kubernetes. There's a lot of different services out there both open source and you know opportunities to partner with people that are available to us that are pretty cool. So there's probably some holes where we haven't chosen a good solution or we, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. So this is us saying, hey, reach out. If you know what we're, you know, capable of using, reach out and say hello. Pretty easy to get in touch. Editors at changelaw.com. Say hi. It's too easy.
0: I would be very excited to hear about what the cool kids are doing these days in the world of Kubernetes. It's moving so fast. So many things are changing. It's impossible to keep up with it. Uh, but this way, you know, just as we are helping the community in our own specific way we hope that others will maybe have a look at what we do and suggest better yeah. ways the best compliment is someone telling you how crap your setup is mm, <laughs> right. because then you can learn something new so and i'm looking forward look to someone it. yeah telling me how crap the setup is and how it can be made better i'm really looking forward to that
1: and i suppose you could use Com and do some hunting yourself if you wanted to also it's open source you can look that way as well so it's transparent it's available to you to to dig into just like we can no different
2: absolutely please do check out all of the source code is up on github all the links to all the things are in the show notes as we stated earlier gerhard will be publishing a detailed blog post covering many of the nitty-gritty details that we glossed over here on this conversation uh, so look forward to that. We'll cross-post it in the show notes as well. We don't know the exact timing on when what goes out and which order, but uh, it'll all work itself out. We'll just declare it, and the system will just work out that content as it needs to. Gerhard, anything we left on the table? Anything left unsaid before we called the show?
0: No, we went into a lot of details, much more will be covered in the blog post. I really enjoy this. Every year, it's almost like I'm looking forward to this. The results... Right, of combining all these awesome building blocks, and in a way, that's what we do here. Right, we take the best or the simplest, in some cases, out of the open source world, and we combine them in a way that makes sense for us. And yeah, I'm really excited about where we will be this time next year. Really mm. looking forward to that.
1: And if you have questions or thoughts, you can share them in the comments on this show, of course, or you can join the community, which is easy. You can talk in real time in Slack with us and other things, but changelawcom slash community is where you can make that happen it is a free community to join it's the cost of your attention Mm -hmm. and your time that's it and everyone's welcome no matter where you're at in your journey this is a place you can call your home and hang your hat and hang out and ask questions Gerhard's there I'm there Jared's there and you could be too so hope to see you there Gerhard thank you so much for all your hard work it's been amazing work with you all these years we appreciate every single year this leveling up we love to see this happen, this progress happening and achieving our SLO of mm-hmm. four nines four next nines. year. Four That's nines, one, baby. Right? Oh, four yeah. nines. Because five nines is expensive. That's a different subject, but this has been awesome.
0: Once we've achieved four nines, we will move to five nines, right? It's always <laughs> of <pretty course>. aspirational. <laughs> of course. What you got to do? I mean, it's the next layer. Yeah, the reason why it's not three nines because three nines would be easy. We
2: already got that. Four nines. Yeah.
0: yeah, we already have that. So four nines. We can failing at three nines. We could. <laughs> Or we can be completely awesome and get five nines. One day, I'm sure we'll get there. I'm sure. One day. Uh,
1: One can dream, right? One can dream.
0: I would like to, one last shout out to Andrew Zauber. It was great working with you on some of these things. Um, Thank you very much for your detailed explanation about uh, the proxy protocol support. That was great. Thank you very much. And everybody else at Linode that um, is building a solid platform. Yes.
1: Yes. Definitely. Thank you, Linode. 100%. All right. That's the show. Thanks, guys. Yep. It's been awesome. Thanks, Gerhard. This was good. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Change Law. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't heard yet, we have launched Change Law Plus Plus. It is our membership program that lets you get closer to the metal, remove the ads, make them disappear, as we say, and enjoy supporting us. It's the best way to directly support this show and our other podcasts here on ChangeLaw.com. And if you've never been to changelog.com, you should go there now. Again, join Changelog++ to directly support our work and make the ads disappear. Check it out at plus. Of course, huge thanks to our partners who get it, Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our beats. And thank you to you for listening. We appreciate you. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week.
2: Real-time follow-up, YAML is not Turing complete, according to this Hacker News comment from January 2018. So there you go.
0: Okay, so about YAML, I don't want to go into too much detail, but basically um, YAML is a, a big contention point. It's a big, big contention point right now. And there's something called Skylark. It's a programming language, if you wish, that you run inside YAML. It's really crazy. Wow. But um, it's something that sticks, and there's like J sonnet and K sonnet, and there's like so many ways of doing this, and everybody has their own way. But mm-hmm. the one thing that really um, seems to be coming through and through is this Skylark templating language, because you def- you write code, you write functions inside of your YAML, they get interpreted, and then YAML gets combined, and you know whatever, and you end up with like a really nice final big document. It's able mm-hmm. to manipulate YAML by writing the functions inside of the YAML. It's, it's, it's really weird, but it's, it's in a good way, right? Because AWS does the opposite. <laughs> AWS, I kid you not, they, you write functions as YAML. So you do right. dash, increment, dash, one, dash, one. And it will know to increment one plus one and oh, that's thanks. just bash it's crazy. No, this thing does something else. You do comments <laughs> and it knows like you say, hey, this is like a function call. And if you look at YTT, do get-ytt.io.
2: Okay. YTT.io. Yeah, my
0: internet, there's a problem with it. I mean, even get-ytt didn't. I'm on it.
2: All up. your YAML shaping in one tool. Yep. Template and patches needed to easily make your configuration reusable and extensible works with your own third-party YAML configuration. So click on try and playground. Okay. Oh, so this is it right here?
0: That's it. And guess what we use? YTT. Oh, we do? Changelog uses YTT, yeah, to template all these things. Oh,
2: nice. So many things that we use, I don't even know. Yep. Love it.